Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. I guess. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. It connected me and Greg. But not in a weird way. It sounded weird. <laughs> I always got to do something awkward. This just got weird. But yeah, we got to get off to a weird start. Today's Tuesday, April 27th. This is episode 180. I believe I got that right this time around. And uh, we're coming at you from the OKest Hunter podcast studio, a.k.a. Well, yeah, the OKest Hunters, essentially. Essentially. See how you do with turkey hunting tomorrow. You better get some OKest moments out there, Field. Like last year when you forgot your shoes in the rain. We'll see what happens. <laughs> There's a small chance of rain for tomorrow. Weather's going to be a little bit cooler than today, which is honestly a good thing because I think the birds will be moving a little more. Yeah. I don't know much about it, man. You're you're the, the turkey whisperer. Well, head on over to OKSHunter.com. Use code W2HPODCAST to save 10% off of your next purchase. They got fishing gear and hunting gear. And by gear, it's not gear at all. It's just shirts and hats. Stickers, so you can spruce up your gear with the you sticker. Need, you need to design a lure. Oh gosh, I just pump the brakes there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me designing a lure. You're not going to catch anything with logs. Well, maybe you need to work on working with a, a plastic company, and maybe they can make the okayest, the okayest lure that doesn't catch anything. Yeah, yeah. Full heads for days. Yep. Oh man, and we just cheered to some drop time spirits. So we got some. Uh, I think we got another case of bourbon coming our way here soon. And we just got some uh, coffee, so before you leave today, make sure you get your coffee. I will. Uh, check out backwoodsgrind.com and I'm gonna be need sure. It for tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to get up nice and early? Yep. Yeah? Yep, I am. Backwoodsgrind.com, W2H podcast for 10% off. Those guys did a trade show a while back, and they sent us all sorts of pictures, everyone that heard them from the podcast, which I thought was pretty neat. Yep. Uh, Spartan Forge, by the way. I was going to touch base with them today, but they're coming up soon as a guest, so we'll get all of the updates from the horse's mouth very soon. Uh, but the, hey, the phone line is hot, so if you want to call in and talk to our guest today, ask any questions, share any stories, etc., the phone number, which is live every Tuesday, and we do this, is 262-757-4122. And that's brought to you by Spartan Forge. SpartanForge.ai is a uh, deer predictability data model solution that has a lot of uh, AI built into it best of its kind has the most unique data set i don't probably in the world if you ask me and it's doing more than that but you know mum's a word until bill gets on here and tells us what the heck they're up to over there well it'll be cool once that app actually hits the market and we can dive into it yep 
Yep. So if you want to save money on, this, on the subscription, I suggest not only using our discount code, which is W2H, and save you 20%, but also get in there sooner than later before the updates hit the market because then the price is going to go up. So do yourself a favor and get in there sooner than later. And with, uh, I don't know, with that, I, got, I, don't, I don't have much else going on. We're, just, we're chiseling away at stuff. The, our app, by the way, the Word Hunt podcast, or the Word Hunt GPS app, is um, making strides right now. But it's all behind the scenes, so I, I just don't Big have anything improvements to share. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So stand by, everybody. I'm, I'm, I promise there'll be a, a debut here soon that's going to be pretty exciting. So let's go ahead and bring on our guest for the week on the line with us today. We've got Nick DeCastro with Land Trust. Nick, how you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Great. We're, yeah, we're good. So you're the founder over there. You're all decked out. I am out. the founder. Yeah, the founder and CEO. It sounds really important, doesn't it? It does. You're just the guy with the big idea, you know? <laughs> Yeah, ideas. I, idea. Everyone has ideas, right? It's just about hopefully attracting a good team to help you execute against them, you know? Yeah, teamwork makes a dream work, man. It's no joke. And I think you said you got um, seven people and maybe a couple more remote, and you're out of uh, Colorado, yeah? Or Montana? No, Bozeman. Yeah, Bozeman. I did live in Colorado before I moved to Montana. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're uh, seven full-time, and then we've got probably 12 all-in with some contract and folks working not full-time and when did you guys hit the market what like you seem fairly new to me but that doesn't mean anything you could have been around for 10 years and i wouldn't have known maybe i don't know <laughs> no we uh so we launched in october of 2019 and then uh 2020 was our first full year in market and so yeah we're we're still a very young uh, new company that's got a lot to a lot of work to do a lot of growth ahead of us a lot of work to do well, having your first full year in business be 2020 and the fact that you're still sitting here wearing the, the brand says something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was definitely an interesting year. Um, you know, I don't think that we I don't think that we were hit like some other industries were. There was definitely an effect. I remember April of that last year sucked pretty bad. Uh, that was when the shutdown happened and people were like, holy shit, I don't know if I'm going to I'm getting uh furloughed we had like some guys had to cancel bookings we we're about to have our best month of the of the whole year so far and then uh, a lot of guys had to cancel because they're getting furloughed and it was it was definitely something but you know it, it bounced back and a lot of people wanted to get outside we've all read the stories and heard the you know million new hunters and people looking for outdoor stuff so there's there was definitely some good things that came out of it too i think yeah absolutely it was a, a good boom for the space so we haven't seen uh people coming into the space like that in like over a decade right <laughs> yeah i mean it was a, a huge influx and and you know unlike fishing if fishing has such low barrier to entry uh i mean you could go to walmart and pick up rod and reel uh, probably a license and that's your fishing uh hunting adding a million hunters there's, as you guys know there's there's a lot of friction in that funnel to actually go from I'd like to go hunting to getting out and hunting and the government's involved in a few different parts of it which is not usually a good thing when you're trying to uh, do something fast yeah that's true they like to slow things down put a lot of red tape on things which is whatever mm. everyone's got their place but so tell us a little bit about the platform um, you know sure you got your start in 2019 what, what did you see in that space that you guys were going to do different that allowed you to have such success out of the gate because you're doing well that's uh yeah it's a good question so land trust for for those of you there's probably most of you haven't heard of land trust because we're still a small company but um 
one, we're not a conservation easement business. Um, we understand how that could be misconstrued because those are land trusts. Um, but essentially, we're a, a marketplace. We connect sportsmen with landowners across the country, and uh, you know, so that they can go out and have hunting, fishing, and soon to be other outdoor recreational activities and experiences on private lands all over the U.S. That's fantastic. So, and you're in how many states? We're in 39, 39-ish, maybe 40. It kind of changes. I'm not as close to the actual, uh, you know, land acquisition point at this point, but somewhere right there between 38 and 40, let's say. Okay. And there's other people in the space, you know, I'm familiar with a couple of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the model that I've seen is a landowner says, hey, I have this property. It's kind of like the Airbnb of hunting land, essentially. So if I want to make some extra revenue as a landowner, I can engage with your platform, potentially put it up there. You vet it. Uh, it's insured under your company. And yep. then, you know, I can denote which type of access people can have on that land and what activities they can engage in and what times of the year, et cetera. Is that how it works? Is there more to it than that? Yep. So uh, today, that's definitely the model. So two-sided marketplace. You know, I was an Airbnb host for many years <clears throat> when I lived in the cities, and I was a traveling salesman and was never in my apartment. So I got exposed to the kind of sharing economy uh, platform pretty early on and saw the power of it. And so, you know, when I moved, finally got back out into the outdoors. I grew up hunting and fishing, but uh, living in cities and working in tech as I did for about a decade, you kind of get away from that. Um, it just seemed like a natural application for this marketplace because it is a marketplace. Um, you know, there's, I think hunters and fishermen spend about five and a half billion dollars a year today in the U S just on access to private lands to, to hunt and fish. If you zoom out to just all nature based outdoor rec, it's about $17 billion. So this is already an existing marketplace. It's just opaque and it's mainly offline. And so, you know, we're here to, bring it online, make it transparent and liquid. Um, but yeah, that's generally the idea. Keep the landowner hundred percent control of their land. We're just a technology partner and, uh, you know, we help aggregate all the demand. That's pretty cool. So what's it been like for both sides of that equation? It's a chicken or egg mm-hmm. paradigm. So you, you, yeah. you have to get the land, the, the, like the hunters or recreators. So if the landowner signs up, they actually see activity. Otherwise they're like, well, this yeah. is stupid. I've been on here. Nothing's happening. But if you, don't have them, then the other side gets, so it's, it really is like this Uber-esque kind of situation. Classic marketplace issue, the cold start chicken and the egg. Yeah, there absolutely was there. Thankfully we're past that stage, but uh, no one escapes that. Uh, We are what's known as a supply side marketplace and and marketplaces parlance. So supply leads demand for us. Um, Our landowners are our business partners and we're nothing without them. Um, we, you know, we do our best to serve them and make sure that we deliver on everything we, you know, we promise as a partner. So really it's more, it's, it's much more difficult and much more important at first to have supply. You know, there's, there's nothing to do if you don't have places to do them. So, uh, that is how we started. We really focused on supply. Then we started bringing some, you know, sportsmen onto the platform. Luckily, <clears throat> you know, hunting and hunters, are always looking for new experiences in different places. Like, Oh man, I've never hunted turkeys in Nebraska. And so we could have listings kind of everywhere, which we, like I said, we grew to about 38 States probably in our first year and, you know, three or 300, 350,000 acres of private lands listed. Um, but now we're focusing on really launching markets and putting a lot of dense supply in one region and then doing that over and over again so that 
we can really have a, a great experience for sportsmen as we onboard lots of sportsmen so that there's selection and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I guess the one thing that intrigues me, you know, I, so we're in Wisconsin and it looks like you have a couple properties listed here in Wisconsin that are in the northwestern mm-hmm. part, you know, but is someone that's curious and interested in out of state hunts. I know, Greg, you're doing one uh, in Illinois this year. Um, nice. Well, at least I think you are, unless something's changed. No, nothing's changed that I'm aware of. And regardless, I'm going to go if uh, other people go or not. So, yep. But you did, like you it. did, you went and scouted public land mm-hmm. and did that whole rigmarole. And I think that's a fantastic way to do it. There's a number of folks that do that. But this is interesting where you could kind of guarantee your slice, so to speak, if you can plan your hunt. It's a little bit more, you're, you're not. You could do all the scouting and someone could be in the spots you're considering because you've never you don't know what the history of that spot is. You don't know right. what the traffic is in season or where people are parking or how they're accessing. You can make some assumptions. But mm-hmm. if you do the land trust approach, essentially, you could plan your out of state hunt, get your license, do what you need to do. And then you could book someone's property. And then you have maybe some more pictures, a landowner to talk to that might have some more intel on the property, et cetera. So you're maybe getting yourself a little bit more leg up. It sounds like. Yeah. You know, um, it is definitely look up uh, uh, private versus public land hunting first. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a really odd thing. There, there are two sides of the same coin. You know, we're all hunters. We hunt, pri- uh, we hunt public land here too. We live, you know, we're based in Bozeman, Montana. There's a ton of public lands. Um, and, and private land hunting just offers a slightly different experience. So it's still hunting. You know, it's not like I hunted a ton of private land this last year. And until the very last weekend, uh, nothing happened. It definitely uh, is still hunting. Um, it's still hunting. Just you know, because you have no, a piece uh, of private to quote unquote to yourself or, you know, yeah. to your group doesn't yep. guarantee you're going to get something. If you don't put a lot of time in on that piece of private yeah. to, to get to know it how things Absolutely. are moving through it you're not going to have success yeah and so that's you know that's the thing the only thing it does afford you is just like hey you know that it's just going to be you and your group that is that are going to be there when you're there and that's you kind of eliminate that one variable which is nice you know look i'm a uh, a startup founder and i've got now two kids under the age of two like i don't get I don't get to go on 10 day scouting trips and, you know, I just, that's just not a real, a reality for me. No. So for me, if I had to get to negotiate that half day to go out and uh, hunt for turkeys uh, with the misses, you know, I, uh, private just eliminates one variable. And so, you know, for me, that's just like, okay, I'm willing to pay the premium for that. And, and I'm happy to, especially we, we partner with a lot of producers. So um, our real focus on, uh, the landowner side is with producers, or if you're not familiar with that term, farmers and ranchers. So uh, generally speaking, they're called producers. So we really focus there and look, the uh, farmers and ranchers own 900 million of the 1.3 billion acres of land in the U S private land, excuse me. Um, and, you know, they're in a commodity business. They own most of the biodiverse and like prime habitat. Um, and, and so that's a, a really good partner target for us. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm happy to put money in the pocket of the guy or the gal who's out there, that family that's been there for multi-generations stewarding that land and, you know, pay for the opportunity to go out there and, and enjoy myself, enjoy the fruits of that labor. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think private land offers a ton of opportunity, 70% of the lower 48, you know, when we talk about access, 
access is a spectrum from federal public lands, which is everybody all the time, which is awesome, to what we're working with, which is private land, you know, and you pay for the opportunity to go and do that. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine and awesome. And there's public land or hopefully there is some near you. And if you do, uh, we see it as a almost like as a relief valve for uh, for public lands, because I don't know about you guys, but this last year on public was crazy around here. Well, so you're too. Uh, it was. There's a lot of hikers way off the trail. Hikers <laughs> and bird hunters, bird hunters, fishermen, yeah, the whole line. So, you know, it's interesting because you have you have public access. You use public land. Mm-hmm. There's conservancy properties and where you could draw access yep. to conservancy property, things of that nature. Um, you could lease land. That that's been a thing for a very long time. You get some buddies together. You throw yep. money in a pool and and then you go and divvy that up and. Um, I've heard nothing but horror stories about that from multiple <laughs> angles for obvious reasons. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different parties involved. Yeah. And yeah. Um, then there's pro- like you could go buy your own land, too. So I think yeah. this is this fits somewhere probably closer to the, the public side of the spectrum because it's like you said, the barrier of entry to go fishing. I can go to Walmart, buy a pole and a license. No big deal. The barrier to entry yeah. for hunting is so much more obtuse. And one of the biggest things is where the hell do you go? It's yeah. hard to figure out. Yeah, it's hard to figure out. <laughs> That's it. And then we're, we're eventually, as we start turning on some advertising for the sportsman side, because we aren't really doing much there yet, really focused on the supply. But uh, one of the ideas is like $7,000 of gear, nowhere to go. Because <laughs> <You know>, like, <laughs> hunters, I mean, I'm a gearhead too. We all, I'm, I'm sitting, so in our parking lot, we share a wall with Meat Eater, uh, the new Sitka, Sitka has a new retail store right across the like uh, 50 yards from where I'm sitting right now. And their headquarters is over there. And Onyx is on the other side of the parking lot. Um, That's an eclectic uh, diverse group any, of outdoors. Yeah, I don't know any cool. hunters. Yeah. And then we've got Stone Glacier across the railroad tracks. And mountain, sure. Uh, uh, yeah. All these guys right here. But I don't know any hunter that I've met that isn't a hardcore gearhead. We spend so much money on this stuff. Ask any of our spouses. Right. Um, <laughs> That, where do I go to deploy all of this, <laughs> deploy all this gear that I put together? Um, I think that often gets left to like, oh, yeah, got to figure that out. Yeah, you're more than a couple thousand dollars if you buy a top-of-the-line bow, top-of-the-line rifle, a scope, optics. Oh, my God, yeah. Your hunting clothes, a pack, or in our case, a, a very high-quality mobile tree stand and sticks. Um, I mean, with clothing, it, there's multiple uh, layers. Yeah. So you could spend a couple grand in clothing and easily. $200 on just one top and bottom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For the, the you know, merino wool. It's thing. not cheap. Yeah. And then the tags. Let's not say exact prices because my missus doesn't know exactly what it costs. She <laughs> right. just knows that I spend money. So let's keep it a little bit abstract. <laughs> it's not that expensive. Either way, yeah, if you die, it's all going to get sold at a very high discounted rate. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, we want we want to kind of offer that uh, that aspect of the equation where it's like, OK, this is something if I don't have public near me or if I'm looking for a different type of experience, this is a thing that is guaranteed. Um, and so we hope and we, we believe that that will actually help with recruitment and retention stuff, too, because. You know, we talked to National Deer Association and they're like, man, we had 40,000 or so people that came through and graduated hunting 101 courses that they put on. And it's like, where do we send all these people? Yep. It's really, it's really a challenge. You know, there's some good programs here in Wisconsin for like 
public access to private property that I'm engaged with and trying to help and, you know, in a very small way, by the way, but those types of things, not many people know about that. Like to, to go to yeah. your local county.gov website, you'd be surprised what you're, what you're able to find with some green spaces or river bottom accesses or greenways and things yeah. like that, that you might not even be aware of. And you can look at some city ordinances and dig up some great properties, but that's a lot of work. It's, a, it's and it's and it's not for like the newbie, you know. Like you're a you've been doing this for a while, <laughs> and even you know I have uh, I have friends who've worked over at Onyx, and I've told them many times, I'm like, love your tool. It's not for it's not a 101 tool. No. Like you need to know what you're doing to really extract value from it. You know. Yep. Yep. And because some of the colorations, you're like, well, is this public or not? Like, what does this even mean? So then you got to call your local DNR person and, and be like. Hey, what's or you just got this? Yeah, I mean, there's layers in there. You got to know right. how to yeah. use all of it. Yeah. That's just plain and well, simple. and then understanding how to identify habitat and terrain and all that stuff. So that's right. you know we we're I think we're we I'm assuming we've all been hunting for a little while, and I do not pretend to be an excellent hunter, so I want to disclaim that right now. I am definitely an okay hunter, um, but you know, imagine you just got your hunting license and. Now you're like, okay, cool. I want to go hunt turkeys. And, you know, in that perspective, how do you even know what to look for uh, on a, on something like Onyx or something, you know, a, a mapping application, you know, you have no idea. And so you come to land trust and you can search by turkeys. And how do you know they're there? Because landowners who live there are like, yeah, I got turkeys here and here are pictures of the turkeys. <laughs> you know, like it, it's something as simple as that, that I think we would gloss over like, Oh, here's a section of land and here's a draw and there's some water and there's some timber. Like that is already not one-on-one, you know? Yeah. That's a good point. You know, if the landowner says it's there, it's probably a good chance. I see it every day or whatever yeah. it is. That's right. pretty cool. And with it being largely egg, um, how how large are the plots? Is there like a, a threshold on the smallest or a threshold on the largest? What's the typical size of a property you can book? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question, and it's uh, let me say it depends. So uh, one of our landowners who did uh, earn the most revenue this last year is actually in New Jersey, and he listed I think ten or so listings between ten and or excuse me, uh, forty and a hundred acres, something like that. Uh, he, he did phenomenally well and he has, you know, white and turkeys all over those places. And on one of them, he has some geese because he's by the Delaware. Um, so for that region, uh, I have friends who grew up in New York and New Jersey and they're like, dude, if I got five acres to hunt, I would be stoked. <laughs> so for that region, uh, you know, 40, 80, 120 acres, holy cow, you're king. Um, now we're launching Nebraska and uh, in the sand hills, the average land holding size is 9,000 acres. Jeepers. So, if you, wow. yeah, if you put 20 acres on there, it probably wouldn't be super interesting. Um, so, I mean, we have a 45,000 acre ranch that's just listed with us there. We put 10,000 acres live last week across a couple of different listings. So it really depends on where and really what we look at from the hunting perspective. And again, we will be going into other nature based outdoor rec, but hunting and fishing is primary right now. What we when we have landowners come to us and say, what do you think? It comes down to like, what does the property have from a food, water, and cover perspective? The things that, you know, wildlife need. And so if you have five acres, but it's on a, you know, it's on a river bottom and you got timber and, you know, alfalfa field next to it, that could be, that could work. You know, if you put a tree stand up there, like you could get it done there. So, uh, 
you know, it, it, like I said, it's very contextual. Um, what happens in the West, where we see much larger acreage, uh, we're, all, we're getting close to half million acres listed. And in the West, those acreages per listing are much, much larger. Yeah. So if you like were to look at that, oh my gosh, so this is like getting super nerdy. <laughs> but if you jump yeah. in like Power BI or um, I yeah. forget the other data visualization, visualization tool, um, it doesn't matter. You can, you yeah. can like, what language are you speaking? Take right that now? and you can <laughs> show it based on like proportion of size and quantity. It's really cool to see some of that stuff. Yeah, I'm you sound sorry. like a yeah. dog with peanut butter in his mouth. <laughs> um, and that's gonna bother me. I can't think of the other stupid business intelligence software uh, platform that's not the Microsoft one. But that would be really interesting to see. Like the fact that the ones out west are so much larger. So do you have um, people that are like doing? big game hunting like elk and mule deer hunting out west and and booking a property oh, yeah. like that too because that whole paradigm yeah. is totally different in the sense that you gotta draw tag you gotta get you know x yeah. to a certain spot yeah, so how a, does that that's change a big dynamic that? change i mean one you gotta get yeah. a tag two you gotta almost book a property in the area in advance yep and then you yep. gotta pray to god you get the tag or have enough points to draw the, the tag yep. but then again if yep. you're hunting private that's a landowner tag in some cases in some so, cases, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances with that. Yeah, so obviously we're based in the West. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've done a lot of this. So uh, we're, we'll be adding – we're in the process of adding some incredible elk uh, properties here in Montana um, that have never really been open to hunting before. But because of the platform we've built, they feel comfortable doing it. Um, and we've had some phenomenal mule deer and, and stuff taken off of, uh, you know, some of the, some of the ranches and places, uh, this last season. Um, sorry, I think my dog's getting into something. Oh, I got a black lab running around the office right now. Um, so yeah, Western is different. And in, in that situation, you do kind of look for larger acreage because especially with I mean, whitetail kind of hang out in the same place. Turkey kind of hang out in the same place. Elk, uh, not so much. They'll, they'll be moving around. So the more property you have, uh, that offers that property offers all those attributes of kind of food, water and, and cover and shelter, the better off you are. So uh, we do, you know, look, the landers, we're, we are just a platform. So landers list, it's all their rules, everything they, you know, they choose it all. Um, but I know that we had quite a few sportsmen who booked a property They're like, Hey man, I want to come out to, let's say Montana. And this place looks awesome. They talk to the lander and say, hey, I'm going to book it. And if I don't draw, then, you know, are you cool with canceling the reservation? And we had a couple landers who said yes. And a couple of those guys did draw and a couple didn't. And they got refunded. Now, it's up to the landowner. Definitely discuss it with them before. We don't have a say in that. It's their place. So, you know, there is an opportunity to have that type of understanding depending on the landowner. Um, because, yeah. It's kind of hard to book something if it is a draw tag um, a state. So that's why we really like with the first market that we went to go fully put our, our efforts behind was Nebraska. Nebraska is a super interesting state. It's 99% private, uh, wow. readily over the counter, uh, readily over the counter, uh, whitetail and mule deer tags for non-residents, crazy good turkey hunting, phenomenal duck hunting, great bird hunting, just like an amazing hunting state, but it's 99% private. So that's one of those states that, if you don't own land there, you didn't marry into it, you don't own it, <laughs> there's not a lot of opportunity for you to get out there. Uh, we're opening, we're going to open up a half million acres there in the coming months. Wow. Um, and I mean, it's just such a cool state and it's in the center of the country. Um, they've got it all. They have elk there too, but those are 
much harder tags to draw. So uh, the Western stuff is definitely different, um, but we're trying to make that really, really accessible and remove some of the barriers to entry to figuring out your, your Western mule deer or elk hunt for the coming seasons. Question for you about booking. Yeah. You say booking, is it a season? Is it a week? Is it a weekend? Is it three days? Is it kind of? Good question. Yeah. How is that working? Yeah. So uh, it's been, now the smallest increment is obviously a day and it's up to the landowners. You can think about it like an Airbnb, they have minimum stays. So our landowners do similar stuff Um, depending on the state. So let's just take, uh, let's take Nebraska. Nebraska has a nine day rifle deer season. So you're probably just going to most likely, if you book a property, you're probably going to be the only ones out there for the season. Maybe they do two bookings for the season, depending on how big the property is in that population. Um, But it's really up to the landowner, you know, for bird hunting and stuff like that, you know, daily or predators and stuff like that. Fishing daily is, is great. Um, For big game. If you're looking at, you know, doing a mule deer hunt out West or, you know, uh, an elk hunt, you probably want to have a, at least a handful of days, but it really comes back to the landowner. What are, what are they looking for? So they, a lot of our landowners will put together packages if they have lodging on the place too, like a bunkhouse and say, Hey, it's, you know, five days, four nights and for up to four guys. And it's X amount of money. So, um, we have done, we have seen, depending on the state, like a season lease for a species. Um, if the, if the, uh, landowner wants to do it that way, but everything from as small as a day, I'm going to book pheasant hunting for a day, which I've done plenty of to, you know, week long or multi-week stuff. That's pretty cool. Why do you think, you know, some of the bigger platforms like Airbnb, the Verbos, mm. why do you think they didn't dive into this niche? What's the deal? Is it too right. off-putting to First their all, audience? I, I have such a hard time with Verbo. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know why they did that. Can we just save? <laughs> I'm, I'm still only doing it because they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't they get into to hunting? Um, because, because we are can't. the minority, that's why. Yes, because they can't. Uh, these are companies that are probably ideologically opposed. And it's a, it gets almost to a religious perspective from that. So I love it because it's a moat. It's a self-imposed moat on themselves. Um, and it allows us to go and build a foothold and, and a beachhead in the market. And we're going to expand and do a lot more stuff. So hunting is the, probably the, the highest bar uh, threshold to cross with landowners. And if you can, if they're, if they're willing for that, um, everything else is pretty easy. That makes sense. But like I said, you know, they're, they're, they're ideologically like they would, they, as a brand, they can't engage. That's what I, that's kind of what I thought. I mean, you know, that's interesting that I, I, I see it as like the, the common ground between, I don't want to say tree hugger, <laughs> but yeah. sure. Just for, just cause we can say what we want. It's our show. Um, let's say I just am a nature non-hunter, yeah, non-hunter, non-hunter. conservationist Thank you. in their mind. You're nicer than me. So if, if I'm that person, I want to access public land or I want to access land sure. to go do these activities. But if I'm a hunter, I want to access this, the land too. So I just find it interesting that the two sides of that coin are at odds in some cases, because we have a shared interest and it's the land. Yes. Um, I yes. find that very fascinating. It's a really interesting debate that I actually don't fully comprehend. I think Mark Kenny does a good job navigating some of those conversations pretty well, mm-hmm. but he's more versed and spends more time in that arena than I do also. Um, yeah. 
I say all that to say, like, Greg, you you had an experience with the VRBO that didn't go well and led you to no, find. No, you like, can have VRBO. Um, I will never rent a place ever, ever, ever again through them. Well, what the hell happened? Did it touch you wrong or something? What? Yeah, it touched me wrong in all. <laughs> Where the, did it touch you? In, in all the wrong places. What the heck? No, man. Uh, our trip to South Dakota. I mean, we would rent our my in-laws. The family would rent beach houses through them in Florida. Well, we used them uh, in Florida. Mm. Not what they said at all. It was, there was things that were not right with it. Um, so they were, things, they, were, they, were just, they misrepresented themselves. Oh, very much so. And it wasn't wasn't very clean so it was was not being inspected like they used to yeah. do back when yeah fast forward we go to south dakota to the black hills rent this place honestly it would have been fine for a bunch of college kids going there in the winter for a snowmobile yeah. trip we pull in and this place was an old farmyard it was an old horse pasture there was garbage laying everywhere mouse crap all over the top of the refrigerator oh, no mouse crap in the drawers it was disgusting there was supposed to be laundry there there wasn't a washer and dryer there i had to drive into town whatever we made it work but it was just you over underdelivered. you did not yeah. inspect these places whatsoever mm-hmm. You know, and I'm looking it up. I'm using Onyx to try and find out who owns the property because I want to kind of give them a piece of my mind to find out that they had somebody else, like, you know, second or third party managing it, and they didn't mm. do anything. Yeah. They did nothing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really important to manage control and and handle quality control. Yeah. And The backyard uh, looked like a, a junkyard with used car parts laying everywhere. I mean, it was, I could have. I could have probably sold the set of wheels for a Toyota Tundra, <laughs> you know. Well, I asked the question because it—that's a—that's a pretty big issue. Not issue, but like I, because I hunt public land every single year. I go to VRBO and not Airbnb, mm-hmm. not Airbnb, to find a cabin to rent for our hunting party. And every year, it gets more and more difficult or challenging to find a place. Now we lucked out last year. Actually, it was the first year in a long time we lucked out. We actually hit the lottery a couple of years back and got like a pretty magnificent cabin with a sauna, a hot tub. It was like nice. the place you take your wife on, like, you know, some anniversary and it was a bunch of dudes hunting. Uh, instead, so our wives were all really jealous that we were all going <laughs> there. But then the, the landowner or the, the property holder sold it and then it was gone. So then it was like, oh, shit, back to like these little trailer park homes. And, yeah. you know, to, to your point, like what you were talking about, like cramped style. Yeah. Which yeah. For, for deer camp, it's fine. But there's something to be desired for a platform that's built around like deer hunting centric potentially. So if I'm looking for property, you know, I'm gonna hang a deer, hang a deer in yeah. the fucking tree. I'm going to, I'm going to cut the yeah. back straps out and I should yes. be like worried that some yes. passerby is going to get pissed at me for doing that or yeah. the landowner. say so you can't do that here. Um, yes. If I want to have a fire at night or cook or whatever, I shouldn't be like yep. shunned for those things. That's uh, that's why we built a, a platform for, for hunters first. Everything else is easy. You know, every other activity is easy compared to hunting. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what all of our landowners sign up for. They say, yes, we want that. That's cool. Um, so yeah, so, uh, I think there's a a big advantage of that. And, you know, Greg, you, you experienced, uh, one of the unfortunate parts of marketplaces once they hit a large, large scale is people trying to scam essentially. So it's really important to maintain quality. And we stress to our landowners, Hey, just represent it 
fairly. Um, there's probably someone who still would have rented that place if they represented it exactly how it was. And it probably would have been a bunch of college kids who are like, cool, I don't care about that. Right. Bring a, we'll bring a couple 30 racks and it'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> well, I, there's two questions that came through and I'll publish them up. Yeah. I'm going to ask the, the latter first because it's um, uh, Elijah Keller is asking, is this hunting sure. cabins land? He's uh, asking for clarification. Um, sure. is, it, is it mostly land? And then some of the landowners have the option for room and board. Absolutely. Yep. So, so land trust is where you go to find uh, private land hunting and fishing uh, experiences. So this is where we have landowners who are saying, I'm willing to host hunters and fishermen who want to come out and enjoy the property for hunting and fishing purposes. Now, uh, a pretty good percentage of all of our landowners do have lodging components. So they're like, Hey, we got a bunkhouse or, you know, there's, there's some lodging there that's available. And that's, those honestly do really well um, because you get to stay on the place that you're hunting. That's ideal. Uh, so that's great. That's, that is the ideal. And we see those, we tell our landowners, those are the, those are the properties that do the best because that's the ideal situation. You go to a new place, you have a, a section of private land you get to hunt with your friends, family, or your buddies, whatever. And you get to stay right there on the property. Um, and, and quite a few of the landers will let you camp too, or pull a trailer. And some don't, some are just purely land access and you got to figure out lodging somewhere else. You know? Sure. No, that, that makes sense. But it's then... land, land first. That is what we are focused on. Not lodging land plus lodging. Great. One of the other questions, uh, from Levi, who's in Wyoming, um, so this is a longer question. Do you have biologists that help look at habitat on these properties um, that might give recommendations to the landowners to help improve the habitat and animal quality numbers? Yes. That's a great question. It is a great question. Uh, okay. So land trust is a marketplace. We only make money along our, our landowners are our business partners. So we don't sell them anything. We make commission on facilitating the marketplace and bookings. So I say that because we are directly incentivized with them improving their asset, which is their land and the, and the resources on it. So we've partnered with uh, Ducks Unlimited and Pheasants Forever. Well, Pheasants is almost done. Uh, National Deer Association, all the species-based organizations. Rocky and the Mountain idea Mount. is that uh, we haven't, RMEF had a board meeting, so I haven't gotten to talk to them yet. They were kind of like, hey, we got a board meeting coming up. So I get how that goes. Uh, we haven't, we haven't gotten to speak with those guys yet, but it's on the to-do list. Um, and the idea being, okay, cool. You list your property on, again, we'll stay with Nebraska since we're focused on that right now. Um, you're a producer, you're a farmer, you've been farming forever. You got turkeys on your property and white-tailed deer. You start making money from allowing, you know, sportsmen to come out and hunt turkeys. You're like, wow, that's incredible. I made like $2,000 last year, $5,000 last year from people coming out and hunting turkeys. Being a rational market operator, they're going to say, how do I improve that asset? And so we partner with organizations like NWTF to say, hey, this is how you improve turkey habitat. And you're doing it for, you know, profit motive. Profit is not a negative word. And I think profit actually in conservation should go in sentences together. They don't usually. No. Um, but I think that profit motive can really drive this. And so now we can connect in from the, you know, with the science and habitat management from the experts and say, here's how you can improve your turkey habitat on your property. Maybe you take that little section of marginal ground that you've been farming at a loss for forever and you turn it into a food plot or, you know, cover crop or, you know, you do habitat work there. Right. And so that's so absolutely we are partnering with people. We do not pretend to be experts. We are a platform. We are technologists. 
Um, but we are partnering with these organizations. We're even partnering with extensions, um, extension programs from universities. Uh, so we can bring in the science and habitat, and all that expertise, connect it with our landowners so that they can make their properties better and, and make better habitat for wildlife. Yeah. In this case, profit's not a bad word at all. It's good for all parties involved. It's good for the landowners. It's good for the hunters. Right. It's good for the wildlife that's living on that property. So it's all all a win. Hey, some of those profitable companies in the world do some of the best good with their money. If you don't have any profit, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Like, yeah. It, this is something that we I find myself saying a lot uh, recently. There's a lot of people throwing around the word sustainability. That's a cool word. But what I remind people is there is no sustainability without profitability. And that's just a put fact. gas in the engine. Right? Yeah, if, you're not, drive. if you're not making money, you're, you're losing it. You're all. selling your land and you're going to develop. It's going to get developed. Yep. You know, we live here in Bozeman. Bozeman's growing like crazy. You know, mm -hmm. one of my duck hunting spots was in a New York Times photo about Bozeman. I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening here? <laughs> not cool. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> not cool. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing farmland just get turned over. I mean, the money's it's like, OK, we got to do this thing. So, hey, we're all for private property rights and private land ownership. And if you want to make that decision, that's great. But we talk to so many landowners who are producers specifically because they work in a commodity business who are considering selling their land, not because they want to sell and be the generation that sells, but because they have no other options. They're like, man, we just, you know, beef and corn isn't doing it and we just can't afford this. So it's our perspective that the future of working lands, farming and ranching will be, uh, you know, sustainability of it will be dependent on a portfolio of income, obviously from agricultural production, but also from conservation recreation uh, income opportunities. And so we want to be that partner for those landowners, for the recreation and conservation aspects of it. Yeah. And so where, how, how far are you going to take it from the recreation side? So going back mm -hmm. to my question about like booking a camp for hunting, well, looking at some of those, I, I, I may have like saved a couple of boards for where I might want to take my wife and kids or just my wife or whatever. So, you know, uh, you think about like the tiny home market as an example, how many places mm -hmm. might just plop a tiny home on one of these things for a really unique experience mm -hmm. to access to an easement that like you normally would never get to see on a river or whatever. Yeah, and like mountain biking yeah, so, and all sorts of other things that you can do. What if I want to fly my drone somewhere? ATVs. Um, ATVs yeah. are huge yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. So we're looking at the entire nature-based outdoor rec space. So, um, you know, hiking, biking, camping, fishing, hunting, uh, bird watching, wildlife watching. You know, people spend an enormous amount of money on bird watching. Um, it's kind of funny to hunters. We do too, but we just watch them. Uh, differently <laughs> so, well, we, or but, we watch them passively as we're waiting for something else yeah exactly so uh there's a lot of there's a lot of this uh, there's a lot of untapped opportunity there and there's a huge i mean if anything has been kind of revealed by the coronavirus stuff is that people want to get back outdoors and not all of them are going to hunt and you know that's that's great but we want to get those people connected with places that they can go out and enjoy the outdoors, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, as shown here by Alex, <laughs> like all the emojis, <laughs> a lot of emojis. Love it. Do everything. He's a great chef. Um, he makes a lot of really good food. I, every time I see his Instagram oh, nice. page, I get really hungry. So just, if you, okay. if you're hungry, don't visit his Instagram page. <laughs> I need yeah. some good steaks tonight before I jump down here. It was, uh, Oh man, I just wish my family ate more venison. 
like making Give these it time. Those kids will develop taste yeah. buds. So yeah, I've made this perfect steak just, and you won't eat it. <laughs> just don't tell him what it is, man. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Levi had another either comment or question. Uh, might be a little out there. Have you thought about prevent, uh, prevention or vetting process that keeps anti or non-hunters yeah. booking the property just to block access? That's a really, I wouldn't say that's out there, but that's a really proactive consideration. Do you think it is an interesting, it is an interesting, uh, scenario? Yeah. So just, for, well, just let me for, say this. So just, we're just not big context. enough yet to, well, <laughs> yeah, sure. I would say just for context. So Levi runs a podcast. He's more in the bird hunting space and, um, very much mm, waterfall right out of Wyoming, but his podcast. Oh, cool. Awesome. He, we're neighbors. He, yep. He brought an anti-hunter onto his podcast to get their perspective, which I thought was really interesting. I love it. Um, you got engaged. So yeah. I think maybe it, it could be coming from that conversation potentially. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm scribbling a note down here real quick. Uh, Levi, uh, we should talk. Um, Pulling Feathers is his podcast. So maybe go check him cool. out on Instagram. Yeah, we'll, Instagrammer. we'll do. So, uh, I think it's not a crazy thing. Those are, I think more edge cases, uh, okay, his brother lives here, so we'll have to connect. Um, <laughs> what you see is platforms, once they reach a certain scale, attract fraud. And I would consider this a sub uh, section of fraud because you're presenting yourself as something that you're not. Um, that's a It's a problem of scale. So by the time you get there, you have the resources to kind of combat that thing. We're not big enough. You know, I wish we were, I could afford to buy a house in Bozeman. Um, we are, we are not at that size yet. So again, once marketplaces reach really big scale, then you start, you have to fight fraud because like people generally know that you can make money doing this thing. And so that's just one of those things that every single marketplace has to combat when you get to a certain size. So we haven't run into it yet. We absolutely would, uh, take that very seriously. Um, and make sure that that didn't happen if we ever heard about it happening. And our landowners would report it to us, you know. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they just posted up with like some pitchforks or whatever the hell signs. Or who well, knows. we also, so in order to use land trust, we do ID verification. So every sportsman, before you can make an inquiry with the property, you have to do ID verification. So you have to upload a picture of your driver's license, your passport, a selfie. We use the same third-party technology service that Airbnb does to, ID, to do ID verification. That and you're booking with credit cards. So we'll know who you are. And that's a really interesting thing. Transparency is actually the reason why a lot more landowners who would have never let hunting and fishing happen on their properties will actually list with us. Cause like, okay, I feel safe doing this. Most of the bad experiences that we heard from the thousands of landowner conversations that we've had over the past couple of years came from anonymity. You know, that someone knocked on their door. They didn't know who they were. They could be the nicest guy in the world or the worst guy. And then something bad happens. And like, I don't know, the guy drove a black truck. And so they just got left holding the bag. Right. And so, you know, transparency is that thing that really makes marketplaces work so well. No, that's great. And it's a really good point. I'm assuming there's some background checks in there too, or what have you. So you're not letting a crazy person on your property or whatever. Cause, you, Cause your point, if you're knocking on doors, they don't know. And don't show up in camo. Yeah. Like, so I've, we, we had some, who's on the episode that said they bring their daughter with them. Oh, there's been a little time there. <laughs> They're like, but seriously, it works. You know, if, oh, for sure. If man, I bring my the kids niece up there, with yeah. me someplace to go ask uh, for, for permission to pick mushrooms, it's, I don't want to say it's a guarantee, but I stand a much better chance yeah, of getting yes. the permission than I would if I yeah. just showed up in camo looking like a slob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here, you know, here's an interesting thing. Uh, 
So sportsmen, there are, uh, as we know, we're a diverse group. Hunters are not all the same. We have, uh, we have very different perspectives across the spectrum and, you know, they're you know, from weapons systems to what type of hunting you do, all that stuff. So there is, there is a section of hunters who say, Oh, you know, whatever happened to door knocking. Okay. Um, it's gone by the wayside because about- too many people have screwed it up because we've now progressed that far in technology and yes. just changed our total demeanor on how we approach things. It, yes. It's not the same anymore. Toss COVID you're, into the ring not, that makes sense. Even, well, it's even and I don't even think it's the COVID thing. It's just there's that many fruits and nuts out there. <laughs> and it's litigation too. So we've just become a much more litigious society. And, you know, these landowners are like, what, you're going to go out there and you hurt yourself and you sue me and I lose my land? Yeah. And so there's just there's a lot of cultural things that have happened in the last 50 years. Look, guys, we wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't have started this business if every door I knocked on, I got a pat on the butt and said, go get them, Tiger. Right. You know, that's just not the case. And then when you look at the production agriculture section uh, of landowners, these are very busy people. I don't know if you've heard. Farmers work kind of hard. Ranchers work <laughs> yeah. kind of hard. You mean they're up at and like before the rest of I us? have family. You know, I, I, my wife's family is still into farming and he's got acres to get planted and right now he's running his butt off yeah he'll have and people so, stop by the farm and ask for permission Nah, one he won't because he knows he, he's letting me you know access the property along with yep two other three other people yep but as you mentioned he is a very busy they're very busy people and there's this funny thing there's like this uh very reminiscent perspective from the sportsman side of door knocking and how like landowners enjoy that there are some, let's speak in generalities, there are some who just don't get to talk to a lot of people and they're like, man, sit down, have a cup of coffee with me and we'll, you know, we'll sit and shoot the shit for two hours. Right. But when you talk about farming and ranching, these are people who are up before the crack of dawn and in bed, you know, coming in after after sunset. And do you think you're the only person that saw that buck on his land and stopped and knocked on his door? No way. And that's the thing. So you're, it's a very interruptive way to do it. Now we have figured a way and, you know, marketplaces do this where it's a passive thing for them. And we try to remove all the barriers to entry and, you know, make it palatable to them. And at the end of the day, it's a resource. And it's one of those things that I believe that we as hunters should be happy to put money in the pockets of those people. Because again, if they can't make a profit on that operation, it will get sold eventually. And it will be developed eventually. And once it's developed, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a subdivision get torn down and put back into habitat or working lands. Never. I haven't. Never. Never no, happened. Never, never going to so happen either. Never, never will happen. Progress. And that's kind, of the, that's kind of the thing. So, God, that's a uh, thought, huh? That's a really uh, good way to put it on. I can head. tell you, I, I can speak from experience. Uh, an area where I used to waterfall hunt and turkey hunt and deer hunt, there's a subdivision right up to the edge of it now. Yep. yep. Where it was nothing but a field. And if those deer felt pressured, I could watch those deer filter out into that field. Ducks and geese would land in that field. Turkeys would be strutting in the spring in that field. It's yep. not there anymore. It's That's gone. Same thing happened to in property. It's nothing but houses. Just all houses all the way up and around the river. It never was that way before. Same thing on the business side of things. And they can only go so far before they can't build on top of the effing river, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> but it's just changed the dynamic so much. So we've yeah, we've are... lost 12.9 million acres since I think in between 92 and 2012 of rural lands to development. And I can guarantee you these multi-generational places, it wasn't like, ooh, let's cash in. They're just like, dude, we have no, like, 
it's just, this isn't it. working out. I worked in the <laughs> trades, you know, I worked in the yeah. trades. So new houses went up. My company went there. We put HVAC plumbing in there and it's like, man, 10 years ago, I remember seeing deer and turkeys through here all the time. And now it's mm-hmm. nothing but houses and soccer moms and minivans <laughs> and, and dogs running everywhere. And the turkeys and deer are still kind of using it, oh, they're just, yeah, but they're getting whacked on the road. Yep. Yep. Uh, Reinhardt asks, do you work this on the East Coast, which I assumed we had some East Coast yes, folks just, in the room. He just tuned in, but yeah, yeah. He, he would hate. Yeah. We started, funny enough, we're based in Bozeman. We, uh, we launched a business off of in New Jersey, which is a really funny thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been to New Jersey. And I have. My mindset. I, actually, I have family there, and they live I was originally born on the West Coast. Don't hold it against me. Um, and I just pictured like Newark. I pictured like New Jersey, the whole state of New Jersey be like Newark, this like industrial wasteland. And uh, New Jersey is a phenomenally beautiful state. And it's like pastoral and incredible. So we, we launched with a, a great landowner there, but we've got places in uh, all over the East Coast too. We'll be doing more there. There are parts in New Jersey that are good. I mean, I saw the not so good parts running down the highway at three in the morning. And and it's like, I saw the same four accidents, the same fire truck ambulance and set of squad cars, like at every accident, it was the weirdest thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm looking at, I saw, uh, I was going to say, we can, we can do a screen share here. And so if I just go there, Reinhardt and look at New Jersey, uh, type in New Jersey and here you go. So as you all can see here, go hunt all those places. Yep, quite a few. And, and there's some good-sized like, bucks, and there is a picture of an enormous black bear we have on game cameras on one of these places, like enormous. Jersey is a hotbed for antis when it comes to bear hunting, too, which is unfortunate. But you can still do it on private land. But you can still do you it. You can't do it on public land anymore, but no. not on private. Or excuse me, on private, not on public. That's cool. Well, um, so, yeah, we got into some really good Q&A there. I think... Boy, as you grow and gain more partnerships, it might be a good idea sure. to get you back on here to rev this episode and do like a, an iteration of it or a build upon it. Um, for sake of time, uh, you know, if there's any final points you wanted to make, please make them. And then I'd love to get into your most memorable hunt because yeah. you've lived in some pretty cool for places. Sure. I saw, uh, I was reading kind of the comments. Um, Elijah had made a comment. He doesn't want to see it become a, a money sport. Uh, fair. So, um, it's tough. It is, it is tough. So I, I saw he mentioned something about outfitters and out of state leasing and stuff like that. It's, it's a really interesting point. So, you know, we're, we're launching in Kansas right now too. So we got a few States that we're kind of spinning up right now and we have places in Kansas that we've had for a while. But, uh, when I talk to landowners down there, they are, who are also hunters, they really like the model that we're bringing to the market because, it still allows for locals, friends, family to hunt the place. If you lease traditional lease, the hunting rights to your property, no one else can hunt it right. legally. Now we've heard, we've all heard the stories of like, yeah, at least it's some dude out of state. We all hunt it. Uh, that's not how it's supposed to be done. And, and what you'll find about landowners, especially producers, farmers and ranchers is that the thing that's more important than the income opportunity is control. And, uh, and so we keep them 100% control. So we have many landers who say, Hey, look, we're going to block out, you know, the first weekend of X season. Cause my kids or me and my kids or my neighbor, or my neighbor's kids, whatever. I got friends who are going to come out and hunt, but Hey, look, we got all these other seasons and you know, 
they can still do that. They can run it however they want. And really, I see this as an opportunity to democratize private land hunting and private land fishing and private land access for outdoor rec. Because the only way to do it beforehand was through a lease. Just mechanically, that was the way it was done. Right. I don't know about you guys. I don't have 15 grand to lease a place. Nope. Uh, I do probably, I could probably come up with 2,500 bucks to do like a badass, like, you know, five day pheasant hunt in North Dakota. I could do that. I can't do, you know, 10 grand or something like that. And so we lower that barrier to entry for, for folks to be able to go out and experience private land hunting. There's always public lands to hunt. And so that's great. We're all for it. But for folks who are looking for a different experience for whatever reasons, whether it's the exclusivity aspect of it, the, you know, Hey, look, we have this one place to ourselves for in our group. We can just enjoy it how we want, whatever it might be. Uh, we believe that we're actually lowering the barrier to entry um, across many, many more places. And we're going to make much more land available. I can't tell you how many of our landowners were not allowing access for hunting and fishing beforehand. Hmm. Cause they're just like, Hey, look, for whatever reason, they got burned in the past. They're scared of litigation. They're just like, you know, anonymous people, all that stuff. We are opening up more and more access. You, you have to you know pay to do it, but it's still access. Like I said, access is a spectrum from federal public lands, which are awesome. Everyone all the time, whenever you want to what we're talking about, which is starting to unlock the promise of access for private lands for, you know, the things that we love. We've all had that experience where we knock on a door and just like you said, yep. that landowner got fried on some experience. Yep. Somebody just totally jipped yep. them and they're, I had a couple of guys that are like, well, you seem like a nice guy. And I end up talking to him you for, have no idea. Yeah. yeah, for a couple of hours. And they're like, man, I just, I just can't. Yep. And you, you can't know. blame them because you know. do the same damn thing. And, and it's yeah. just, is what it is. It's a, it's a one bad egg kind of ruins a bunch scenario. And, and that happens yes. one or two times and it's, and you can't you know, hold it against them. Yep. Once they're nice twice people. shy. Right. Well, and you know, the funny, like I said, we kind of touched on it earlier for some of the guys who weren't on here, you know, we spend seven grand on gear. But then we balk at uh, like the idea of paying for access to hunt somewhere on private land. You know, I'm not saying public lands, obviously, but yep. um, it's kind of a funny it's kind of a funny dichotomy. Well, the, uh, yeah, the way you talk about democratizing it, you know, the, the the problem that we're trying to address on our end with so most of some of the stuff that we're working on is I want to I want to like disperse the hunting population yes. because everyone's piled on top of each other. And that's just such a bad well, use of time right it's now a poor because experience. public land is cool. Public land yep. hunting is cool. <laughs> yes. um, everybody is on top of each other. Yep. So, you well, know, and that's what I would say to all like too. the hardcore like public lands or die. Um, you should be stoked on what land trust is building because we're just going to put more people out on private lands. It's a release valve. Think about it that way. Yep. And we should also be stoked to be adding to the profitability of landowners. And I know to some subsection of the hunting community, they're like, fuck those guys. You know, they're all these rich, they're all these rich guys smoking cigars and giving they're us land the rich and money poor because they've inherited yes. that land. They got to yes. pay taxes on that land and somehow yes. they got to make a profit so they can raise their families and do things, yep. put a roof Correct. on the house, put a roof on the barn, whatever it might be. This is going to help them do that. Yep. Yes. Just like you said, like and the only way for them to, to participate in that. Yes. Yeah. Cause otherwise, like you said, they're just going to sell it because they're land rich money. Yes. Like they'll make money if they sell it. But until then yep. it's like, how the, what do I do with this? You know, it's just like, uh, that's almost not sustainable. Anyway, this yep. is a really good conversation. I think there's a lot more going on here than just you're helping in so many different ways. 
and you're doing it really well. There's a number of companies that are doing what you're doing or trying to do what you're doing, which I would call like daily thing. I think you have a much larger perspective, a more holistic purview of this whole thing. And the fact that you're focusing on the supply side first um, yes. is a really wise play. So I think it's going to enable you to really kind of fulfill the mission here and help everybody. There's a win-win-win well, scenario. We perceive it that way. And, uh, and you know, our, our big vision is to, on the landowner side, again, be another tool in the tool chest for driving profitability and keeping those lands the way they are, not getting them developed, losing habitat, all that stuff, keeping those generational operations generational. And then more access uh, for, for all of us who love to go out and enjoy those places that we can't afford to buy. You know, maybe someday if land trust does really well, I can buy land. I'm an aspirational farmer, right. um, but that's a big barrier to entry. So until then, I am a I'm a happy and willing participant in yeah. conservation. Well, and that's it. what you are paying for is that. Yeah, I know you've haven't been really at this that long, but do you have mm-hmm. like recurrent return customers that are like, yeah, I want to rent. I want to talk to the same landowner in Montana or oh my Wyoming God, in New, or whatever. In New Jersey, yeah, absolutely. So we still have a relatively small sportsman uh, customer base, and we've seen guys book five, ten uh, trips. So there's so there's like the hunting vacation, which is you know a week long thing, and you're traveling. You probably do one of those a year if you're lucky. And then there's what we call the local spot. So I, you know, me and my you know, people here, we use land trusts. You know, we're hunters and fishermen. We book stuff all the time. And so there's a place six minutes from my house. I've booked it a few times. I have a friend who's booked it six times. In New Jersey, I mean, that those New Jersey properties get booked, you know, like, awesome. I'm starting to figure this place out. I'm going to book it. So we see a lot of our sportsmen who find those places that are closer to home that they can go and just, like, sneak away on a Thursday or a Saturday morning. So we see a lot of repeat. Send some, uh, send some uh, mailers to the Wisconsin farmers out here, please. <laughs> we will. Hey, Wisconsin's going to be, it will, it will be coming for sure. And uh, we love the Midwest. We're, we're, we're working our way there. We're working on some really cool partnerships that we'll be able to announce probably next time we're on here with some big boys that play in the big, the Midwest. It's good to go. Cool. Yeah, what's the big farmer out here foremost? Are they national or are they just regional foremost farms? I, I see them everywhere. The, the, that's totally that's not the same no that's not a landowner that's a no a, i know dairy but that's they just have so much land in this region they uh, own a lot of the mom pa kind of farms they i don't they don't up. own the farms they only they're they're a co-op or whatever I, I don't know the whole nuances of it but well i should put my foot in my mouth and shut up when i don't know what i'm talking about shut up, <laughs> damn it <laughs> I just know every damn farm I pass is foremost. Anyway. Yeah, it's foremost dairy. It's just a dairy. It's where their milk gets sold. All right, all right. But, I, I mean, I can think of one farmer where I used to live, like, every time I turn around, he's buying up more land. Mm-hmm. And then if it's useless to him, he sells it off to a conservancy, and mm-hmm. it'll never see the light of day for hunting again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Interesting. So. Nick, we will your... be in the fight for private land, but yes. Uh, sorry, Eric. No, I was just gonna say, uh, share your most memorable hunt with us. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, the first time I ever went on was I was like three. Um, so I, was, I grew up in Southern California. Don't hold it against me. I don't live there anymore. Haven't lived there in a long time. <laughs> but uh, I went out with my dad dove hunting and my brother. And it was 120 degrees down by the salt sea, literally not exaggerating. It gets that hot down there during dove season. And, you know, I remember uh, him shooting doves, me, uh, sitting under a bush. And it's, I don't know if you guys have ever been down there. It's, it's the desert. Um, and 
you know, him shooting a dove and me going out and getting it, being his bird dog and coming back, looking at it. He tells a story all the time. Like, he's like, man, this is my son's first time seeing a dead animal, you know, up close and personal. I'm like looking at it, this blood coming out of the beak. And apparently I don't remember this, but apparently I said, well, that's the way it goes. And just, he's like, Hunter, (laughs) you know, like it it could go one or two ways there. It could be like, oh my God, you're crying. You're like, so from there I was cemented uh, as a hunter, but there is a, another, another good one. Um, It was with my brother-in-law and it was the very first land trust hunt ever booked. It was on a Colorado ranch and we went out there and spent a handful of days on a, a beautiful ranch down there by Meeker chasing elk uh, and a full moon, which is a poor strategy. Um, they just did stuff nocturnally. Uh, but we got to, we got to spend our time in like an 1860s cow camp and just like no cell service in a Canyon. Literally we're sleeping with field mice in this old cabin, a pot belly stove. It was awesome. Um, they represented it as such. They didn't tell me it was a five-star accommodation. So that's, you know, the, the expectations were set correctly. Craig. Um, but it was just a, a really amazing time. Uh, we didn't. We did not score. We found elk. They just didn't do anything during the day. But it was a fantastic, a fantastic trip and experience. You know, I like that a lot. That's the kind of mm. stuff, man. I say this on the podcast all the time, but the indelible memories are the ones where you do something that's so off the beaten path that it's in, in, it imprints on the mind in a very different way. And you didn't kill yes. anything, but that's that just goes to show it. The hunt is so much more than that. It, the experience is the thing. So like memorable is something different to everybody for very different reasons. Yes. Um, and awesome. uh, that's, and that's really, you know, just so people know we offer all sorts of stuff, but we really do cater to that. Cust- the, the customers, the sportsmen who are looking for that kind of stuff. You know, if you want to go kill a 200 inch mule deer, outfitters are an excellent opportunity for that. You know, if you've waited 20 years to draw this tag, we're probably not the right place for you to go looking for that. Um, but if you're looking to go out and experience and really go for the experience, now we have people who've done very well through the land trust platform on, and some incredible properties, but we find ourselves attracting the type of sportsmen who are like, I just want to go to this. I've never been in Eastern Montana before. Let's go spend a week there and just soak it in. And Hey, if we get our turkey or our deer or elk, cherry on top. Yeah. Um, so that's what I, I look, I, again, I'm a, I'm a very okay hunter. That's perfect. Um, I mean, you're on the okay, okay fisherman. You're on the okay hunter podcast, basically. This yeah. Is... So, uh, Brad, uh, so Brad from uh, go wild, we talked about this on his podcast too. I'm passionate about building businesses and I love hunting and fishing. I really do. But I, you know, I do not present myself as like some badass, you know, killer out there. I, I can, I can hold my own, but that's about it. Yeah, that's good to go. Well, it's very clear that your passion for building businesses um, is going to help hunting in a way that, you know, hunting in itself for you specifically, you know, in a way that you're going to do that's far greater than just, you know, buying tags and contributing that way. Um, Sure. You have a really unique platform. It's really professionally represented. Your go-to-market strategy, your branding, everything that you guys have that I see um, across social channels, your retargeting is on point. I go to your site and I see everywhere. As a result of that, it's it's really well done. Um, you bring a business sense to the, to a place where I think some may have lack lacked in that area. Um, you're not just oh, like a couple of dudes trying to do something. It's very clear that you brought a lot of business savvy to this. 
Well, hey, look, I've got a team, so I hire people who are much better than me at all these other skill sets. Uh, and that's that's the best part is having an awesome team to go out and execute on on a vision. Ideas are worth nothing. I can tell you that much. 100% yeah. agree with that one. Yep. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, thanks for jumping in here with us. Just to be clear, so people that are listening, um, it was great oh, yeah. to see the participation coming through. Um, but those that catch us in the podcast land, uh, where do they go to find you? Yes. So obviously, first and foremost, landtrust.com, just like it's spelled L-A-N-D-T-R-U-S-T.com. Um, I don't use social media, so I have to actually look at what it is. Uh, Instagram is landtrustig. Facebook is landtrustinc. Um, and then we do have a YouTube channel where we have some landowner videos. You can hear about the experience of producers who partnered with us. You can hear about sportsmen who've used the, you know, the site. We're going to be putting out a bunch more content soon. So interest.com will have everything go there. Super easy. Search for the States you're looking for. If we're not there yet, let us know, uh, create a free account, by the way, uh, this is a good little trick. We just added this kind of feature set in. It's free. You can sign up with your Facebook or your Google or just create one, uh, an account, totally free to create an account. And then tell us what you're interested in. In your profile, you can say, hey, look, I like archery hunting for whitetail and mule deer. Cool. And then as we get these new properties that are archery hunting for whitetail and mule deer, we'll send them to you. Um, so just kind of let us go out and passively do the scouting for you, and then we'll send it to you. Uh, that makes sense. As we get that stuff. I dig it. That's pretty cool. Any final thoughts, Greg? Nothing. You go, my uh, black lab is sitting here staring holes through my head because I was supposed to feed him an hour ago. And <laughs> it's a shame on you. They are very much a creature of habit. If you do not have oh, food yeah. in the bowl by 5.15, they will be yeah. burning holes in your back of your skull. My, he wakes me up every day at 4.25 a.m. Yep. I wake up, you know, my alarm set for 4.30, 4.25. He's staring at my face yep. uh, while I'm at I could just feel his presence. <laughs> yep. He's black. So see him. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. Ducks are great. My My... <laughs> Boxer lab is seven pounds overweight, according to the vet. So he's got to stop following our kids around so much. That's the culprit right there. Yes. It's great to have yeah, a walking absolutely. garbage disposal in the house, but it's not good for his health, I think, uh, which is unfortunate because I don't like to bend over. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'd love to keep you guys updated as we continue to grow and, um, you know, have good conversations like this. So I appreciate you giving me the platform to, to talk to folks. Yeah. Fa- it's fantastic. Uh, it was a good two way conversation. I'm going to go ahead and end the live stream. So stand by for a minute here. Everybody that tuned in and asked questions. Thank you so much and uh, have a good night. Take care. What's up, everyone? Anthony Eller here with Deer Vane, and this week's tip of the week kind of ties into today's topic with land trust, which is picking the right piece of public ground. Not all pieces of public ground are, are created equal. I know that's kind of obvious, but at the same time, I like to say it all the time because people will spend years and years and years hunting the same piece with no results when they could drive an extra 20 minutes or an extra 40 minutes and have much better results. Uh, and, and have more success, see more deer, get on more deer, find more sign. So when you're out there, I mean, it's May right now, or it's almost May, it's April. Um, you're out turkey hunting right now. You're out wandering around. You have some spare time. Go check out different pieces of public that you've never been to before. Go see if there are better pieces out there. You know, people always say the grass is greener on the other side, and it's certainly not always true, but it also can be true at the same time. So 
uh, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at different pieces. And the thing that, that always jumps out to me at first is I always like to find pinch points and funnels from a satellite map or a topo map. And that's where I start. And my intention is to scout that, you know, in this springtime and then hunt it during the pre-rut or the rut, because that's just when your odds are the highest. And if I get a lot of extra time and if I like that area after that, then I'm scouting it next year for maybe early season and maybe late season and things like that. But generally, you know, finding those pieces, taking a look at aerial maps, find those pinch points and funnels and get out and scout now so you can see is the grass greener on the other side. And if it's not, go back to what you've been doing. Um, but if it is, you know, now you have a new place to go and a new opportunity to try. All right. Hope it helps, everyone. So I just want to jump on real quick as a final thought here, like I tend to do with the show. Um, I started an email, weekly email blast or whatever you want to call it. So if you're subscribed to our email marketing list, you'll see some emails coming from me probably Sunday night or Monday morning or something like that. Really, it'll just be any sort of news that's going on with Where to Hunt, whether that's the app or the podcast or some of our sponsors or partners uh, things that just Greg and I are up to in general, maybe we're, some of our hunting success and failures, uh, as well as, you know, upcoming guests uh, on the podcast and maybe a recap of the of the previous week's episode. So if you're not subscribed to that, it's pretty straightforward. You can head on over to wheretohuntapp.com if you want to get these updates. And uh, that's what you can expect with those. It'll ask you to sign up if you hang on the website for a couple seconds or so you get a pop-up. Otherwise, I think there's like a form on the bottom where you can, you know, fill it out automatically or like manually if you'd like as well. Um, we did end the giveaway, uh, for those that maybe didn't catch the drift of that just yet. So I got to sunset that page still and get that out of there. Uh, and, and just, you know, like I'd mentioned in the beginning episode, the where to hunt app is there's just so many cool things happening behind the scenes right now that I'm really excited to share with everybody once we kind of get it fine tuned and finalized and, uh, back into the app store, et cetera. So stay tuned there. Uh, thanks for your patience and continued support of the existing app. It's still functional. It's free to use if you want to identify occupied or unoccupied Land, it's a start. There's, you know, a good number of users across the country. So I always recommend trying out with a buddy or so, so you can see where people are at, so to speak, uh, help you avoid one another and kind of have some awareness and safety. Uh, the new studio is being framed out, except we had the wrong size two by four. So I had to run those back to good old Menards last Sunday and swap it out for the right size. So now we're going to actually get that going underway here this week slash weekend. Um, really exciting for that because we have a shooting lane set up in the basement and we'll get a mini fridge down there. So when we get back to bringing more guests in studio, it'll be a really fun kind of thing. And we like having people in studio. It's a really great experience to do it that way. But you know, with everything that's happened over last year, the video piece is really kind of a neat feature that I've grown fond of. It really makes the conversation a little bit more fluid. I can read when people are going to speak next. So I'm probably a little less interruptive than I had been in the past for that reason. And uh, you know, we still encourage people to call into the show every Tuesday. We're live same time, same day. Every week, six in the six in the afternoon to seven in the afternoon, um, Central Standard Time, of course. And we have a, a call number two six two seven five seven forty one twenty two. If you want to call in and engage or participate or share stories, we welcome that. We know it's kind of off season right now. Um, we'll pick up the uh, tactic talk probably late August and into September, October, November, and cut it in December. Um, so for those of you that haven't heard a tactic talk episode, you can just go back to last year on that time frame, and you can hear a lot of the different deep dive tactic talks we did with people that have 
proven success of killing mature whitetails, and we go into a really specific granular topic for about 15 minutes. So really great episodic um, that comes part of this ecosystem. If you have any guests that you think would be a good fit for our show uh, and have value to add to our listeners, let us know. Uh, we're always looking for good people to bring on the show. If you think you'd make a great guest, let us know. Send me an email. Send us a direct message. Um, my email address is eric at where2huntapp.com. You can reach me there. I'm always on the different social pages. Uh, not so much TikTok. We're there, but I'm not there often. Uh, Instagram, probably your best bet. Facebook, I seem to miss a lot of those no- notifications. I think they're it's just got kind of convoluted over on their end. So um, email or, or Instagram is probably the best bet. And if you have my cell phone number, you can always just send me a text. I know a lot of you folks have my number. So that's my little rant for the end of the day here. Happy Tuesday. Happy Wednesday for those listening on their commute or jog or dog walk or workout or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, have a great day and hunt public. <laughs>